0: Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle podcast with giveaways to send out like mine, or a full blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new Rate Advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with my promo code POD, that's P-O-D, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code POD. Never go to the post office again. Welcome. I'm Lori Lee Binstock, and you're listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Grief is a normal reaction to loss. However, when a loss of a loved one is sudden or tragic, it can be traumatic. My guest today is Nikki Mamano. On October 13, 2019, she was in an accident with four friends. That's when she lost her boyfriend and suffered a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, almost losing her own life. The wounds were visible, but the lingering wounds of such a tragedy could not be seen. Nikki joins me today to share her story and her journey through recovery. Nikki, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to be here.
0: Absolutely. You know, in a matter of moments, your life was completely changed. You know, not just the accident itself, but also losing a loved one. Um, can you share what happened that day on October 13th?
1: Sure, um, so I want to start with my two years from the accident is coming up and it's still so hard for me to talk about. And I know two years isn't a very long time, um, but just this is making me realize how healing is not linear. So on October 13th, almost two years ago, the five of us were on our way to Assateague Island in Delaware. And I don't remember any of the accident, but what I've been told is that it was around lunchtime and we saw a restaurant behind us. So, my friend who was driving, I was sitting in the middle back seat, but my friend driving pulled over to the side of the road to make an illegal U turn. And we were hit by a truck carrying, of all things, on October 13th, an amusement park ride. And it was also storming pretty bad. And The accident was critical for everyone. We all needed to be airlifted, but because of the storm, only my friend sitting in the passenger seat was airlifted. And thank God he was because um, he needed brain surgery right away. But we were taken to multiple hospitals because the first hospital didn't have a trauma center. (sighs) Yeah, I was resuscitated. I almost lost my life. And my boyfriend who was sitting to the left of me he passed away on impact from a brain injury. Oh my goodness. And so
0: you woke up in the hospital pretty much.
1: Three weeks later, I was awake and conscious, but I have a condition called post-traumatic amnesia. Um, So I was conscious and moving around, but I was very loopy. (laughs) I've been told some funny stories of, My interactions in the hospital that the first thing that I said one of the first things I said when I woke up was um, my mom was talking to me I said no where's my real mom (laughs) and I also for some reason I asked her how many babies were there (laughs) Um,
0: like you had just given birth at a hospital
1: I don't know (laughs) Um, I just I have to find humor in it
0: How did you learn about what happened um, to your friends? Were you at all coherent when you woke and were you able to find out what happened to your friends?
1: When I became conscious of my surroundings during my third week, that's when I was transferred to my third hospital and I was now in acute rehab. And I kept asking my mom and my dance coach was there too. Uh, my dance coach, Abraham. I kept asking them what had happened, why I was in the hospital, and they wouldn't tell me for a while. After a couple of days, I figured it out. I, it Things started coming back to me. Um, I had brief memories of driving over the bridge and um, holding David's hand in the car. And I, I kept asking over and over again, how are my friends? And my mom and Abraham wouldn't tell me. And then finally, a couple days before I was discharged from the hospital, they thought that I was ready to know the truth. Um, and they told me that um, David had passed away, and but all of my other friends were okay. But I, I think I had already kind of guessed it before they told me.
0: How long have you had been in, you said you were just getting discharged when they yes, finally that,
1: told you? Mm-hmm, so that was, into my fifth week in the hospital.
0: So you you said that you kind of guessed, what was your reaction when you were actually told?
1: I was in shock. I think during that time, um, because I was still in so much physical pain, I actually, I didn't cry at first. I almost, as I think back, I had to, I think, force myself to start crying. Like I, I wanted to get the emotions out, but because my body was in so much physical pain, emotionally, I couldn't bring it to the surface yet. I just, I don't think I was ready. But then weeks later, when I started physically healing, I would cry myself to sleep almost every night. Were you in touch with
0: any of, David is your, was your boyfriend?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Were you in touch with any of his family?
1: Um, in the very beginning, no, I didn't feel ready to be in contact with them. It really wasn't until a year after that I felt ready to start talking with them. We had his mom reached out to me and we had briefly talked here and there. The first time I met them in person was um, the one year anniversary of the accident when they had a memorial for David? Do you still keep in touch with the other survivors? Um, I think this is a really interesting question. Um, I am still pretty close with my friend who I told you who had to be airlifted. We had known each other since college. The other two survivors who are living. um, I don't talk to them. Um, I think trauma has a way of bringing people together and also has a way of separating people. Um, And specifically the driver. Legally, we cannot um, we cannot speak. We've like texted here and there But he's told me that because he's still technically on probation, um, we can't share details about our lives. Mm. And we actually, the driver and I, we weren't really friends when the accident happened. Um, So I wouldn't even consider him my friend now. So we actually met just a week before the accident happened. And was on a camping trip. And My friend and I, who had been romantically interested in him, wanted to invite him on our trip to Ossetik Island. So the plan was actually, he was going to drive there and then I was going to drive us back. So that's why we only took one car. Do you feel angry towards that person because of the accident? Grief has an interesting way of showing up. The anger comes and goes, and it's definitely developed over time. I would say that I do have anger. I don't know if it's necessarily at him, more so just the event and Mm -hmm. the universe. I honestly, I feel neutral on the outcome of his case. His case actually happened, the court case, it was over Zoom. Um, and I gave a victim impact statement and it actually happened just a day before um, my birthday and David and I had the same birthday. So this, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so the case happened in May of this year and he did get charged with, I think, first degree murder plus a couple other charges because of um, the other bodily harm to the other passengers. Um, And so he could have gone to court, or he could have gone to jail. Um, And I was in this neutral position of whatever happens is meant to be what happens for his journey.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I didn't want him to go to jail, um, because I don't think that from how traumatic it was for him as well, he shouldn't have to go through that. Jail is a traumatic place. Mm -hmm. But... At the same time, I don't think I would have been upset if he had gone to jail. Do you struggle with survivor's guilt? That's a really good question. It would be a lie if I said that I didn't struggle with survivor's guilt. Um, I had mentioned I cried myself to sleep for probably the first, first couple of months during my recovery. And my mom was living with me for the first five months of my recovery um, because I needed help getting around the house and eating and showering. And she, and it's all kind of a blur to me at the beginning of my recovery, but she told me that almost every night when I would cry myself to sleep, I would say, it's not fair. He was too young to die. Um, And I think at some points I had said, why? Why wasn't it me? I don't know if I ever said that it should have been me, but um, I had a lot of bargaining, a lot of what ifs. I had actually uh, been one of the main organizers of the camping trip. Um, so I would go back and forth in my head and you know, sometimes I still do when I get in a bad place, say, like, what if we had taken a different car What if we had decided because of the storm, we shouldn't go on this trip? So for a long time, I felt like it was my fault because I had planned the trip. Finally, I think um, reaching a year into my recovery, I remember telling my therapist, David shouldn't have died, and I shouldn't have died. When I said that, I realized I was starting to heal. I think, from the guilt.
0: I want to talk about what recovery was like mentally. But w- let's start with physically. How was recovery physically?
1: Um, well, thankfully, I mentioned I have post-traumatic amnesia. So I don't, remember. I don't remember the ICU. I was told stories, though, that I would try to get out of bed even though I couldn't walk I do remember in acute rehab um having to sit up in bed and I would need help like sitting up in bed and it was so painful for the longest time and thankfully I do still have pain in my the right side of my pelvis because I had five fractures Mm -hmm. in my pelvis Um, but for the longest time I had to sit on a cushion like I'm sitting right now kind of on, it's like a softer surface, but still like if I was still in the beginning of my recovery, I probably would have had to move by now um, because it was too painful on my tailbone. Mm. Um, My sacrum is like out of place and the way my body healed, I couldn't bear weight on my right foot. And so the right side of my body has healed up. Like my muscles, I think have been pulled up, which is why I still get pain on my right side. It was, it was painful to sum it up. You said
0: you couldn't really put any weight on your foot.
1: Right? I know the doctors didn't want me to because the two of my fractures were on my left side and then three were on my right. Um, And thankfully I didn't need any surgery. Um, oh, wow. <clears throat> and I think one of the reasons I didn't need surgery is because they had me, <clears throat> excuse me, they had me not bearing weight on my right side to avoid that.
0: And you're, you're a dancer. So mm-hmm. this must've been really scary for you. Did you feel, did, was there a point where you were like, oh my gosh, am I gonna walk in? Am I gonna dance again?
1: Yeah, I think in the very beginning, um, especially when I was still in the hospital, I would lay in bed, I think, trying to come to terms with, well, if I can't ever walk or dance again, like how my life would be like. But I, I think that my passions for movement, for dance and yoga um, really propelled my my recovery to to be able to walk on both feet again to be able to get into the dance studio again and I was back on my yoga mat not even um three months into my recovery oh wow I I really don't know I mean it may be because I had been physically active before my accident and because I'm young I had Fortunately, those things were helping my recovery. But I I really don't know what helped me to heal so fast. What helped you get
0: through re- rehab?
1: My friends and my family, I would not have healed without them coming. I would not have healed as fast. Um, one of my favorite memories is there was a Starbucks in um the lower level of the hospital and one of my comfort foods or things I like to drink for comfort is hot chocolate. Mm. And so every time my friends or family would visit, they'd bring me a hot chocolate. (laughs) I had so much hot chocolate in the hospital.
0: (laughs) That was great that they brought you your favorite thing.
1: (laughs) um, Just got lots of food and lots of journals. People gifted me a lot of journals. <laughs> um, did you use them? <laughs> yeah, I have. One of my dreams is to have enough journals to one day fill up a whole bathtub. And I think I'm almost there. <laughs> wow, there's a lot
0: to write. <laughs> yeah. You did earlier talk about recovery not being linear. What kind of setbacks did you experience?
1: I think this is a tough question. I think that where my mentality is now in my healing, I don't personally like to think of them as setbacks, because I'm trying to transcend beyond a victim mindset that this happened to me. I look for the growth and the gratitude in how my body is different now and how my brain cognitively is different because of my traumatic brain injury and also emotionally I do struggle with anxiety and depression and PTSD and also um I I experienced depression and anxiety before my accident and so not thinking of these as setbacks I think that Going through recovery and working regularly with a therapist now has actually propelled me forward and helped me grow from things even before my accident. Um, So really taking a look at my anxiety and depression and learning to not be stuck in it. That's amazing.
0: How was it emotionally getting through recovery? rehab you know now
1: i like to say that grief is it's a catalyst and it has a way of of breaking you open i i still have really hard days um i've i've learned to get comfortable with crying anywhere and at any time whenever I feel the tears come. The first time I met David's best friend, we went to this cafe together and it was a pretty filled cafe. We were talking about David and I was just bawling in this cafe. I went to support groups for trauma survivors and that was helpful for a while. Finding other people, to resonate with with the injuries I experienced. And I worked with a neuropsychologist um, for a little over a year. And I still see a therapist, but now she is a trauma therapist. And we're working on things like EMDR and um, we're going to start exposure therapy, actually. Oh, wow. And what yeah.
0: the, What is exposure therapy?
1: The way I understand it, the way it's been explained to me is I talk about one specific traumatic incident. So like if I'm talking about the accident, um, we would record the session. And then I guess my homework would be um, during the week before I see my therapist again, I would listen to the recording. I would listen over and over again to my trauma, I think to ease my exposure to it, Mm. trauma.
0: It, it you know just a little bit ago you talked about these wounds and you know there was this quote that i was reading um it says something i'm paraphrasing but the wounds are the opening for light to come in mm-hmm. and it was there it was it was more beautiful than what i'm saying now <laughs> but that's just what it remind reminded me of it, it's, it explains the growth that's there from those wounds I like to think of like scar tissue your skin whenever you get a cut goes tougher and thicker so that growth is significant you were talking about your hard days and therapy and you're going to do exposure therapy are there things that you do now um, when you have those hard days when you can't see the therapist
1: Well, in the beginning of my recovery, um, I definitely needed a lot of support and what I would do personally to help myself on my really hard days. Um, I'd wake up almost every morning and then I'd write my gratitude for the day. Um, like I've looked back at some of the gratitude journal journal entries and some of them have been like multiple days in a row. I wrote, I'm grateful to be alive today, grateful to have seen another sunrise, grateful for my doctors. And so just finding the gratitude even while in pain was really helpful. And now um, I do still journal gratitude sometimes but I think what really helps me is movement that I've been able to get back to dance and yoga I try to stay in the present moment um but thinking about my future Mm. um thinking about how my life has just started and there's so much more for me to experience I I have to to think about that thinking about my hard days, like the worst days have been when I've gotten into a suicidal mindset and not wanting to be alive. So thinking about that gratitude that I I am grateful I was given a second chance at life, that there is so much more for me to experience. So. Absolutely.
0: There is so much more. I know it's easy. Especially if you've struggled with um, depression and anxiety, um, suicidal thoughts can just appear. I've experienced it so many times. And I think waking up and realizing what you're grateful for is something that can be really, really helpful and beneficial for those suicidal thoughts to not stay around or stick around as long that's amazing that you are able to think about, you know, you have a second chance. There's a reason that you're here. You have a message that you need to get out. You know, trauma tends to change us. What changes have you seen in yourself as far as like fears, maladaptive coping mechanisms?
1: So, in the beginning of my recovery, just a couple months before COVID hit, I think I was trying to get back to my normal life, going out dancing, hanging out with friends, but I took that early recovery stage as an opportunity. Every weekend I um, I was running from my trauma. Every weekend I would get very drunk I think a positive for me because of COVID, um, because everything shut down and I had to just be inside. I stopped drinking and I really started looking at my trauma. Any other maladaptive coping? Yeah, I just, I think distractions, keeping myself really busy, which I don't necessarily think is the worst coping
0: mechanism,
1: Mm -hmm. Um, but I have been needing to find ways to slow down and just rest and find stillness and remind myself that rest is productive, especially for healing.
0: Absolutely right. You know, oftentimes people in recovery um, after trauma discuss post-traumatic growth. What are your hopes for the future?
1: My hopes for the future.
0: I know you're Um, writing a book.
1: I am. (laughs) So, you know, I mentioned how I have to remind myself about so much to experience in the future still. Um, And one of those things I remind myself is I want to publish my book one day. I want to see David's legacy live on. I'm writing about our love story, um, my recovery, and how I found my sense of self after trauma and after a brain injury. David's mom has said to me multiple times, we just have to, we have to keep going. Um, And so that's what helps me too when I think about the future and being able to get to know David's family. And David and I, we're only able to be in each other's life for actually two months. So I didn't get to know David for a very long time. And so getting now to know his family better, um, and I'll be seeing them. And I'm going to go see the cross for the first time. Um, the cross is where the accident happened. I hope for the future that sharing my story inspires others mm-hmm. um, and to leave the world a better place as cliche as that is
0: no I think that's beautiful I think that's how we find purpose after such a traumatic event and you you mentioned how you found your sense of self that's what you're writing about can you tell me how how did you find your sense of self after tragedy
1: well I I I think I'm still trying to find my sense of self. I think it's a it's a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. It's constantly changing. I think finding purpose and meaning in why the accident happened has mm-hmm. helped me to to rebuild a sense of self. I think because of my brain injury, I I like to say I can't really remember who I was before the accident or who I would be if the accident had never happened. Yeah, finding meaning in the accident is what's helping me find my sense of self. And also realizing that I I don't need a concrete answer and I'm never gonna get an answer of why it happened. So just accepting and just letting it be.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you sharing your story, your journey, and, and what you have coming up in the future.
1: Thank you so much, Laura Lee, for this opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Well, that was Nikki Mavano. To learn more about Nikki and to stay up to date on the latest on her endeavors, including her book, visit my website at a tstpodcast.com. That's the letter A tstpodcast.com. Nikki also contributed to July's issue of Authentic Insider and you can find her piece there. You can find the link to her website, social media platforms, as well as my social media platforms at the top of my homepage. And don't forget to subscribe to my email list at Authentic Insider Magazine to get that into your inbox monthly. Thank you so much for listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. I'm Lori Lee Benstock. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. Take care. (music) you. <music>